Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you very much. Uh, welcome to this session on, uh, this is about celibacy and re- re- um, that sort of thing, right? <laughs> Just want to make sure you're awake. Um, and we're going to talk about dating and uh, single and dating uh, this morning. My name is David. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Hey, David. And I'll be one of the facilitators along with Jeff. And uh, we're both from the Nashville area. I live in Franklin. He lives in Bellevue. Um, each of us will share our recovery on this topic, and we will take time to answer questions at the end. Questions will be taken from the Ask a Basket. So if you have a question while we're going, feel free to grab a card and, and write it down. Or, uh, and that's, that's the easiest way to do this. That way we could read the question and the people on the tape can hear it. Um, if not, you can raise your hand and then we will do our best to parrot back what you, you know, the question so the people on the tape can hear it. So, so in the spirit of the fifth tradition, uh, to carry the message, this is a recorded session. The recording equipment will not be uh, turned off during the session. We ask that you please silence all cell phones. And uh, with that, uh, let's open with a serenity prayer. Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. And so first up is Jeff from Nashville. Take away, Jeff. I'm going first. I thought you were. No, oh, I, oh, that's right. Okay. Okay. Never mind. D before J. Yeah, there you go. That's okay. So um, I am Dave, and I'm a recovering sexaholic, and I've been sexually sober since August 1st, 1985, um, something for which I am frequently but never sufficiently grateful. Um, it's been a long road. Uh, but my, you know, time flies when you're having fun. And, uh, you know, my, my life today is a lot more fun than it was, uh, when I walked through the door, uh, in August of 1985. And, uh, and at the time, I'd been separated for, um, a couple of months from a, a, a marriage of five years at that time. We got married in 1980. Um, I got into recovery to save my marriage. And uh, that turned out not to happen, <laughs> much to my dismay at the time, because I didn't know what was ahead for me. Um, I was a, uh, um, I was in a. Uh, I might be single the rest of my life if I didn't remarry this person. Um, and uh, even though I thought I was doing it out of Christian love, <laughs> I, uh, I tended to hammer her over the head with the Bible. She was Roman Catholic, 
And, um, you know, um, you know, I reminded her that, you know, her church didn't believe in divorce either. And, uh, but that didn't prove to be very successful. Um, she moved out. Um, I came to my first meeting in August. Do you need to adjust something? Okay. And, uh, I started attending meetings. Uh, you know, my, my addiction took the form of, uh, compulsive masturbation, use of pornography. Um, one of the keys that I was to find out later, one of the keys was dependency relationships. And it took me a couple years into recovery to realize that all my relationships had been the same. Um, I was extremely dependent. Um, I catered to their every need, and they always left me. And then they always came back, and I took them back, and then they always left me again. And uh, so after a number of serious relationships, I didn't marry until I was 28, so... Uh, but I thought this one was going to stick, and uh, but it happened again. Um, but it, you know, I was I was sober um, a little over two years, and uh, you know, I, I moved to Detroit. There were no SA meetings. We started a meeting in this place called Caps. Didn't know, under I didn't know what Caps stood for. Turned out it stood for uh, Children of Alcoholic Parents, and. Uh, Turned out I was one one of those, um, and I'm, after we started the meeting there, they're funneling all these sex addicts to our meetings, and you know within a couple of weeks, you know we're, we're averaging twelve to fifteen people at a meeting. Now there was another S fellowship in the, in the city of Detroit at the time, and a bunch of those people came, but we were getting a lot of new people, and I'm start hearing these people's stories about their family of origins. And saying, man, we got something in common here. And it was about that time that my ex, you know, we were still, uh, I chose to allow her to do the divorce. And we did it in, in New York State at the time. I was living in Rochester uh, when this happened, Rochester, New York. They had something called a um, uh, uncontested divorce. So you had to have a legal separation. And then after a year, either party could file for divorce. And I took the stance that... Uh, um, you know, my wife was going to have to file for divorce. So I was uh, single. I was sober. I was still wearing my wedding ring. And uh, because I'd ho- I hoped that we might reconcile. And uh, in fact, I made this dramatic. Uh, I was encouraged by some Christian friends to make a dramatic demonstration of my love for her. And I flew back to Rochester in June of 1987 bought her flowers. Uh, she hadn't told me where she was living at that point, but she, you know, she finally relented. Uh, you know, I, t- I just called her. And I said, I'm coming. I'm flying from Detroit to Rochester, New York. I'm going to be there Saturday morning. Can I see you? And she gave me a couple of hours. And so I showed up with flowers and uh, took her out to lunch and uh, professed my love for her. And, and she said... I'm engaged. <laughs> well, that uh, kind of let the wind out of my sails, so to speak. I'm going, you're, you're what? So, now, I'm, I'm sorry, take that back. That was 1986. Okay, so by 1987, you know, um, I'm hearing all this 
So six months after that, I'm hearing all this stuff about these people coming out of alcoholic families. Uh, she starts calling me. They'd already bought a house. We, we were not divorced. She'd already bought a house with this guy. She was engaged. And she starts calling me in January 1987 and asking me for advice about her relationship with this guy. And I had, to, I had enough recovery at that point to say, you know, I could lose my sobriety over this. And it's, I, I can't do this. And uh, so I, I started seeing a therapist at this CAPS. And a uh, couple months after that, I realized that I really couldn't have any contact with her because it was just too toxic, you know. It just, it, <laughs> um, this, this isn't going to work. And um, I, she finally contacted me sometime around June of that year and said, you know, I, I broke off the engagement and I think we're going to get back together, but I'm going to go ahead and divorce you uh, so we can have a clean start. <laughs> Whatever. And so at the end of August of uh, 1987, I, I got my divorce papers that, uh, that the marriage was over. And, uh, you know, I'd gone to a conference uh, early in my recovery, 1985, in, in, in Cleveland, Ohio, and there was a woman there who, at, you know, I was about two months sober. She was two years sober, and she was single, and she said, I'm two years in, and I'm sober, and I'm not ready to start dating. And, uh, but I did the mental math in my head and said, well, maybe by 1987 I could date. And so here I am in August of 1987. I'm, I'm divorced. Um, but I was doing enough of my, my own uh, family of origin work that I said, man, there's just no freaking way. You know, I am, I am not qualified to do this. And it's no wonder, you know, I kept having the same relationships. So... Fast forward, I moved to Tennessee in 1988. How are we doing on time here? Okay. I moved to Tennessee in 1988. Um, I still didn't have a sponsor, okay? I was, I had been working steps one, two, and three uh, because everywhere I went, I was, I was the guy that had most, the most sobriety. And that's, you know, you have, you, you know, the fellowship was a lot smaller back in 1985, 86, and 87. And so the idea of having a, uh, a long-distance sponsor never occurred to me. And uh, so it wasn't until I moved to uh, Tennessee in 1988. It took me a year to screw up my courage to ask Harvey to be my sponsor. Uh, but I did that in 1989. And uh, he's been my sponsor ever since. And um, I'm, I'm a very loyal person when it comes to stuff like that. Um, but it's really worked for us. And... Uh, so I said, Harvey, I'm ready to do uh, step four. And he said, let's, let's start at step one. And uh, so we did. And uh, so it's 1989. Um, we started doing our steps together. Uh, by 1990, we had our first conference here in, in Nashville in 1990. So it's 30 years uh, this month um, since our first conference, uh, SA conference. And I know that because... Harvey made me the chairperson. He suggested I'd be the chairperson for that conference. So uh, I remember it very well. We met down the road here uh, at the Holiday Inn. And uh, there was a lot fewer of us then. Um, but by 
by January of 1990, I, I was ready to do my ninth step. And uh, I talked my ex-wife of three years to come to that conference. And I had this, you know, I, I've had this fantasy for years that, uh, you know, we would be on the circuit. We would, we, we would, you know, we would reconcile. We'd be on the SA circuit telling our stories, you know, how, how this fellowship saved our marriage. And, and, uh, and, and what it gave me was the opportunity to do my ninth step with her. And to tell her, you know, I wasn't available for you, even though I, I you know, I didn't cheat on her physically. Um, you know, all my all my acting out behavior was done in in secret and in private. Um, um, but her reaction to my ninth step was, that doesn't sound like a problem to me. And. Um, but nevertheless, you know, I, I did my ninth step. So, you know, I'm, I'm four and a half years sober. Um, I've done my ninth step with my spouse, ex-spouse. Um, I, I moved on to my 10th and 11th and 12th. And after a few months, you know, my, my sponsor said, you know, when are you going to start dating? <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> and... Uh, he said, I, you know, I, I think, you know, that's something you could consider. Now, you know, I, I was still in that very conservative Christian denomination, and it turns out there was a lot of controversy about this particular to- topic of divorce and remarriage. And it, and it uh, you know, different pastors had different beliefs about it. And, and the way I read it, I, I felt like I was qualified based on the doctrine at the time. Um, and I counseled, um, and I would suggest that those of you who are involved in a religious tradition before you start dating, you might want to talk about it with your um, uh, those that, that are important in your life, in your re- religious community. It, it was helpful for me. I didn't want to do anything undercover. And I wanted, I, I wanted my, in my church was important to me, my faith was important to me, I wanted my my pastors uh, to know what was going on. And uh, so I, I got counseling that I could date. And, you know, I had this dream. I, I was in Tennessee. I'm going to come down here and, and, and marry this wonderful, you know, I grew up in Ohio, so I was a Yankee. And, and I'm going to mar- marry this Southern Belle, and, and she's going to be this godly woman, and, and we're going to have a beautiful family and all this kind of stuff. Well, it turns out that in the South, I think everybody gets married when they're 20. So, um, so I'm in my mid to late 30s, and there's nobody in my in my peer group that's available. And uh, uh, but I still had this dream, and I'm, I'm sitting in church one morning, and this attractive woman comes up to me, introduces herself. I'd never seen her before in my entire life, and she claimed that she attended that church. It was a very large church, so it's. You know, my season tickets were in one part of the church, and her season tickets might have been someplace else. Um, I'm a creature of habit. I tend to sit in the same place. And uh, so anyway, she introduced herself to me. Uh, it, was, it was job-related. I moved to Tennessee be- because of my job, and it was, it was known where I worked, and uh, asked me some job-related questions. We talked, and we had a, got, hit it off. And after a, a month or two, um, you know, I was thinking about her and my sponsor encouraged, you know, why don't you ask her, you know, ask her out for dinner? 
I was like, what? <laughs> um, now I'll back up a little bit. Uh, when I was, you know, when I was in doing my therapy work, and I, you know, I did my family of origin work for an, a number of years in group and individual settings. And uh, like I said, I kept having the same relationships. They always ended the same way. I heard this wonderful tape uh, at a codependency anonymous conference. Uh, and it was a therapist giving a talk about dating and relationships. And he said, you know, we go about it all wrong. Um, you know, relationships are on a continuum. Over here is companionship. At one end of the spectrum is companionship. And at the other end of the spectrum is, is something called love. Uh, in between love and, and companionship is something called friendship. And a, 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 an easy definition of companionship is the activity is more important than the person than you do it with. So when you start off in a relationship with a person, you start off as a companion. And so you do something that you want to do and you invite somebody along. So the event is more important than the person that you do it with. This, this was like rocket science to me. It's like, what? You know, I, when I dated, you know, I, I was very intentional. They had to meet certain physical attributes. Um, I certainly wanted to be physically involved with them very quickly and uh, they seemed they needed to enjoy it as much as me, but they, it was all about the externals. And um, when when you reach the friendship level, then the person is more important than the event, and you've achieved some level of emotional intimacy. And for me, emotional intimacy means telling you that I'm frightened most of the time. I'm I'm fearful, you know. I'm a you know. It turns out that's my personality type, and I'll talk about you know. I'm going to do a talk next hour about fear, so we can talk more about that then. But um, so when I'm willing to tell you that you know dating is is scary to me and uncomfortable, then uh, and I'm starting to expose who I am emotionally, then you know we're developing a friendship. So. Any dating relationship had to start with companionship, move to friendship, and then the, the key ingredient when you go from friendship to love is touch. You don't touch somebody until you know them intimately, emotionally. What a concept. You know, I, I bought into the movies. You, you, your eyes lock across the room. Uh, you're making out, you know, within a couple of hours after the end of the evening or whatever. Um, you know, that, that whole concept. And, and, he, and he threw in, he said, and for those of us in recovery, I'm going to suggest that you institute the 10-date rule. And it's like you're all, I'm hanging on the edge of my seat, what's the 10-date rule? You don't talk about your recovery until at least 10 dates. And um, I can't tell you, you know, I've, I've given this talk a ton of times, uh, and I can't tell you how many people uh, sexaholics who have been referred to the, by their sponsors to me because I've done this. I've been married by 20, for 23 years, by the way. I remarried uh, in 1996. So um, they call me and say, I told her everything on the first date and she didn't throw me out of the car. And I'm thinking, 
Who in their right mind would want to date a sexaholic? You know? Are you kidding me? But, um, so it was helpful to understand this 10-day rule thing. That I'm, not, I'm not going to talk about my recovery. So I, I ended up dating for six years uh, before I met my spouse. Um, there was only one, one, one person that I, I got so far as to talk about my codependency recovery. I was a lot more comfortable about talking about that before my sex addiction. So I figured I'd ease into it by talking about my codependency recovery. And uh, so I, and I dated a bunch of people. And the only person I told I was a sexaholic uh, is my wife. And so that really helped me temper things. And uh, it gave me a lot of freedom to go out with people, um, you know, as, as I would... I'd meet somebody and I'd call Harvey and I'd be all excited or, I, or I'd be kind of ambivalent. That, that, that's a better term. Yeah, you know, I, you know, it's just, you know, no, I didn't hear any music and all this kind of stuff when I met this person. He, he said, you're taking her out to dinner. You're not marrying her. And, uh, and that helped me put, put things in perspective. And um, so he and I, did this dating thing uh, together, and I'm, I'm just about out of time here, um, and it worked. And, and so, you know, people ask for guidelines. I, you know, in my experience, um, you know, I, I, I got married two days after my 11th sobriety birthday. So I had been single, celibate, and sober for over 11 years at that point. And... Uh, um, you know, I was given permission to loosen up a little bit uh, after we became engaged uh, in terms of our our touching activities. Uh, I don't I don't need to go into detail about that. Uh, I was bound and determined I wasn't going to lose my sobriety before I got married, and we did not. And and that's what she wanted too. That's what she wanted too. Um, but she knew about my addiction. Um, uh, she knew how important that was to me. And uh, you know, we have two beautiful kids. Um, we've been married, it'll be 24 years in August, this, this coming August. So uh, it's worked for me. People ask for guidelines. Uh, I, I have not seen anybody be successful that tried to start dating within a year or two of just having a year or two of sobriety. Uh, you, you, you need to work all 12 steps. You need to be working with a sponsor. Uh, because you have to have a lot of co- accountability on this stuff. It's just, there's just too much. You know, relationships are our problem <laughs> for most of us. So you really, you, you know, it takes time. And I, um, you know, I would encourage you, if, if you have family issues like I did, that, you know, do that work while you're single. You know, you've got the time to do it. And it, it takes a lot of en- physical energy. You know, when I, when, when I was in therapy, uh, I was exhausted. You know, I had to, I, I stepped, you know, I, I had to step back in my career. Um, it took a lot of energy. You know, I, the best I could do was 40 hours a week and, and go to my meetings and go to my therapy and, and, um, and stay sober. And so it takes time. And, you know, it only took me nine years, and I'll end with this. Um, I had one more opportunity. I thought we were going to, 1994, we had a we had a conference in in Nash, back in Rochester, and uh, my wife was still 
my ex-wife was still single. We'd been divorced by for seven years at that point. And uh, I invited her out to dinner uh, the night uh, uh, on that Friday night. And uh, we had dinner, and, and I had this in the back of my head, maybe this is going to work out after all. And uh, it was over that dinner that we, I realized we, we'd taken separate, separate paths. And a couple months after, I was kind of depressed for a couple months when I came back from, from that and realized that wasn't going to happen. And, and it occurred to me, you know, I've got a, a great life. I've got a great job. I'm, I'm at, a, at a church that, that, that works for me today. Um, I can do this the rest of my life. I have friends in this fellowship. And uh, if it's meant to be, it's going to be meant to be. And it took me nine years to get there. And, you know, I met my, my spouse in uh, about six or seven months later. So that's my story. Thanks. Thanks, Rich. Good morning. Good morning. Ooh, that's loud. That's really loud. Um, my name's Jeff. I'm a lust addict. Could I have a volunteer to time me for 15 minutes and at five minutes do this and at one minute do that? All right. You in the red hat back there. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. So a little bit about me and dating. My story is uh, uh, a lot like Dave's and a not lot like Dave's. Um, There's three words that that he said that, that I really liked. One was accountability. Then there's another one that I, I know too much about, and that is dependency. And then there's another word there that really stuck out for me that's helped me a lot, and that's therapy. Uh, so I'm going to go into my story a little bit, and those three words are just, they're meaty for me. Um, so I got into these rooms in 1997. Um, my marriage was uh, in decent shape at the time, um, but she found out and said, go, so I came. And, and a very short story about my recovery journey is that I got in here in 97 and I stayed sober for a while and I thought the world was great and, and everything was wonderful and, you know, I didn't really do a great job of working the steps, but I was sober for five and a half years, so I, I must know something, right? Um, truth is, I didn't and uh, went back out for another six years, came back into the rooms about 2002, um, and it was a slippery slope for me. You know, I thought, hey, I did this before. This is going to be easy, right? Um, But I couldn't stay sober. And um, my marriage had a little bit to do with that, I believe. And life had changed for me. And uh, it wasn't so much about lust. It was probably more about all the other shit that caused the lust. Um, So in 2014, after slipping and sliding in this program, I got busted again for fourth or fifth time. And I... uh, and I went to treatment. And I got out of treatment in October, or excuse me, November 14. My sobriety date is uh, the 3rd of October 14. So I've been uh, clean for about five and a half years or five and three months, something like that. So uh, when I got out of treatment, um, very shortly after that, my wife served me with divorce papers. And I was kind of doing yes because I didn't have the cojones to serve them to her. Um, but I knew it was a mess, and it had been for a long time. Um, and when I got out of that marriage, uh, even though I wanted the divorce, I was really depressed. I had no idea what divorce was about to do to me. 
because here's the word, dependency. The dependency relationship that I had been in for 30 years with the woman I was married to, just it, it just destroyed my self-image and I lost who I was. I didn't know who I was. And that was, that was where I was in 2014. 15, the divorce is final. And for about the next year, next two years or so, I was in the rooms all the time, fair amount of therapy, talking to my sponsor, trying to figure out who I was. And I was in my late 50s. Um, for the ver- and, and somewhere in there, um, this is something else that Dave and I kind of have in common. My sponsor at the time, so I'd been, I'd been with the sponsor for three years. I'd been out of treatment for three years, separated for three years and divorced for two and still sober, working a pretty decent program. And, and I had no interest in dating. I had no idea who I was. And I really didn't want to, because I'd been around the rooms long enough, I kind of knew that if I invite somebody into this mess right now, it's just going to be messier. And my sponsor said, um, when I said, what do you think about me dating? And this is about three years sober. Um, and I'm, I'm just putting a timeline to that. That's not a guideline for anybody. It's just where I was. Um, he said, yeah, I think it's about time. Like, oh, Okay. So he was kind of keeping a clock on me, like wondering when I'm going to date. That's what it felt like. Um, so what did I do? I didn't talk to him a whole lot about it because I had my own plans, right? And, uh, and these dating sites look really inviting. So um, I was all about it, you know? Why go with one or two when you can go with five? So, so that's where I was. That's where I was. I was on five different dating sites, and it was... Um, it was... It was an obsession, okay? Um, I understood right then that a new meaning of please connect with me and make me whole. Uh, through this whole time, I really had no desire to act out, but my, my dependency or my addiction shifted from kind of lust to love and relationship stuff where, okay, now I just want to be with somebody. I need that approval stuff, you know, so... So I found a lot of that on dating sites. And so it was like a part-time job. Um, it really was. It took way too much of my time. I wouldn't recommend it again. I stayed sober throughout it, but I had a lot of accountability. Probably not as much as I needed because I really wasn't following my sponsor's advice a whole lot on this. Um, but I wasn't acting out and I had no desire to, so I kept moving on. Um, I went on a lot of dates. Um, I didn't go on dates with people because I thought, wow, that woman is gorgeous. I've got to have her. Um, I kind of shy away from those people because for me, that's too much energy. That's too much for me to deal with. So when I got on dating sites, I talked to people. I tried to be real. I tried to be open. I tried to be who I am, even though I really didn't know who I was yet, but I was beginning to find out. And little by little, um, I started going on coffee dates with people. Um, if they were okay appealing to me, that was okay. I was trying to figure out who I was. That was my goal. Just let me figure out who I am. My dating in my 20s was more drunken friendships, a couple of one-night stands, 
and let's go to the bar, get wasted, and see if we can have fun with women. That was my dating experience early on. And then I got married after that. So I was dating healthy or trying to be healthy and dating for the first time in my life. And I was 59 years old. Uh, so that was important to me. I had to try and figure out who I was. And I needed to learn how to talk to, to women somehow without being without having a mask on. So that was my goal. So I probably had 40, 50 dates or so. And, and one or two women kind of came to the top in that whole thing. Um, and unlike Dave, it was real easy for me to talk about recovery early because I'm an alcoholic. And that wasn't a hard thing for me to bring up. That's very acceptable. And when I realized that somebody across the table from me was a little bit open to that side of life, it was real easy for me to talk about that. Um, to date, only two of the people that um, I had coffee with or did anything with know that I'm part of this fellowship. So, yeah, I do agree that sexaholism is real hard to talk about unless you know somebody really, really well. Um, so, um, what I realized through this whole thing is that uh, I'm an emotional cripple, and I've got a heart issue. You know, I, I, and I don't know what to do with, with relationships. I know a lot about dependency. I know that I really love the energy I get when somebody approves of me. And I've got to figure out a way to leave that all behind when I'm in this dating thing. Um, because otherwise, I'm going to get hooked into somebody and just go with it. And if I'm not accountable to a lot of people in this, for me, the disease will fool me. The good-looking, shiny stuff that is telling me how much they like me, I'll get hooked in and I'll be, I'll be gone. Because I, have, I am really powerless against the approval of other people. And while I really never got sexually triggered in this dating process, I knew that I could. Um, something else I got to bring up here as a sideline. I'm 59 years. I was 59 years old in the middle of dating. I don't know what it's like to be 35 or 40 years old or 25 or whatever it is, or even if you're 65 and have a sexual libido that's up here. I don't have that anymore. So it helps me. So if your engine's, you know, running 90 miles an hour and you're 25 years old, I don't know how to help you there. I just, I don't have any experience there. That's what I'm telling you. Um, for me, my lust wasn't kicked up during all this thing, and I'm not really sure why. Maybe it's a God thing. So, um, and during this process, I actually, Dave brought up CODA, I had a lot of outside help, uh, some other fellowships that, that helped me look behind just the sexaholism. I mean, I'm not here to talk about other fellowships, but um, therapy helped me a lot. Um, I can't. I couldn't do it in just this room alone. That's that's my, been my experience. Um, okay. The other thing I, I, I realized that when I was doing this dating thing, in that, thank you. Um, there was this pull for people to fix me. You know, please connect with me and make me whole was a was a big part of who I was, and I didn't realize it. I didn't realize that that 
besides this acting out stuff that I did, the, the sexual part of my addiction, the next biggest part of my addiction was that approval stuff. And, and that was the dependency part that, that Dave was talking about. And it was real easy for me to get hooked on somebody just because they liked me. And, um, and that wasn't going to get me, that wasn't helping my recovery either. Um, so I'm looking at all my notes and seeing, trying to see what I haven't talked about. And uh, so I'm probably going to finish up quickly. Um, uh, let me catch you up to date. Um, today, well, two, like I was saying, two women rose to the top. I started hanging with one almost exclusively, and that didn't work out. And since the beginning of this year, um, there's only been one person I've been with. Um, and, and through that whole time, I've kissed one of those people. Um, my relationship with this person that I'm with and been with for a year is not sexual. Uh, it's not even, not real close to being sexual. But it's becoming very emotionally, um, it's a deep um, emotional, intimate relationship. And, uh, and I'm finding out for me that, do I want this relationship to be sex- sexual? Yes, I do. Um, will it be? I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure where it's going exactly. Um, but I do know that for me, sex is kind of optional right now. And it feels really good that it is. Because if it's not, then I got this big monkey on my back that I got to have it either next month or next year or whenever. And the monkey is there because it is out there. And I, and I really would like this relationship to go further. Um, but I also know that I'm attracted to people Here's what I'm learning in this relationship that I'm in now. This person also has their own set of baggage that they're bringing to the table. And I realize that, that I've been, I'm, I'm attracted to people that are about as well as I am. It's one of the reasons that, that I couldn't get into um, any relationships early on. It's because I wasn't well. And, and I would have been fooling myself uh, if I told you I was. Uh, today, I think I'm in a little bit better shape. And, uh, and so now I've got this person in my life who also has baggage. And, and, they're, you know, and my therapist has helped me identify those red flags. And there are some. Um, and that's the next thing I'm working on. So now I'm in a different program trying to work on the red flags that come up because I'm dating somebody who's not an addict, but who's got a lot of people in her life that are. And, and that brings its own set of stuff. Um, so in closing, I'm just going to say that, um, what I just learned in that cool meditation that I just did a little while ago is that I need to be aware of stuff. I need to be more aware because, you know, when it comes to dependency and lust and approval and all that stuff that I'm hooked on, I need other people to help me. I need other people to tell me where I am. Because without that, I'm going to go down my own road, make my own decisions, and I'm going to screw it all up. So with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, you know. So it's that time of the program where we ask people if they have questions. And did anybody write down a question? No, I got one. Huh? Okay. So... 
I feel like Psalm 28 and seeing and I feel like every relationship I've gotten into, uh, especially one that was more long-term, uh, it was really easy for me to get dependent on that person and have codependency. And I feel like it's just inevitable for me. Like, if I get in a relationship, it becomes codependent. Like, how, how, would you, how do you avoid that when you have such an intimate, emotional relationship with someone? So the, the question is, um, I, I get into relationships and I become dependent in that relationship and how do I avoid doing that? And, and I, it goes back to, you know, what I said. I, I, I think, you know, the, the best we can do is to work our, you know, my sexaholism would kill me. Okay. So that, that was my number one priority. I, I would either get, Locked up, what is it? Locked up or covered up? What's the last one? Sobered up. Sobered up, yes. Yeah, well, the most important one, right. So, so yeah, just tell you a, a, a real quick story. The guy that got me to my first meeting, uh, this was 1985, uh, I read a letter to, to uh, Central Office and said, help me. And they, this guy called me named Vince, and I went to my first meeting, and three other, two, yeah, three other guys, including Vince, uh, he was sober for five months. And uh, um, when he said he would sober for five months, I about fell off my chair. And uh, um, after that meeting, I never saw him again. And his, his acting act behavior was he was going, he was flying to New York City to the bathhouses. And this was 1985 in New York City. He got AIDS and he died. And uh, um, so I don't, I don't know where my addiction would have taken me, but I, I'm sure it would have killed me. I would have either committed suicide or whatever. So, so I would focus on my re- sobriety recovery, my uh, sexual addiction recovery. And then a couple years in, and I happened to read a book about this, and it, it talked about how we addicts you know, shuffle from one addiction to another. And uh, so I was two years in when I... When I God exposed to me this idea that I came from a crazy family, and I did. Multiple generations of addicts on both sides of my, my family. And um, so I went to work on that. And, uh, and, and, and Roy talks about it in the white book. It's, it's one sentence. He, he says, you may need to get help outside of this program. And I... You know, I, I knew him and I talked to him about this, and I know that he sought recovery outside of um, SA. So I think it's really important. You know, we, we come from family situations that make us incapable of having good relationships. And until we do the work, you know, we're not going to be succe- successful in relationships. So that's my, that's my quick answer. Do you want to comment? Uh, one quick comment on that. Um, Dependency. If I'm working on dependency, I'm going to talk to everybody in my area. Like, who's talk to sponsor, talk to people you respect in your recovery community, and say, so what do I do about dependency issues? For me, it was therapy. For me, it was what Dave said, outside issues. I, I do a few other programs that aren't about this addiction per se, but about the other stuff that, you know, that we, we uh, try to recover from. Can I say one more thing? Don't look for a date in recovery. In those groups. 
it, it's, it's in the South, we, you know, we, we, we joke about going to family reunions to have a relationship. That's, that's just a joke. Uh, but, you know, this, this has to be a really safe space for us. And I know people that have dated in, in recovery in, within the, this fellowship. Um, but for me, this, this has to be a really safe place. And, you know, one of the benefits that I had when I, when I was in re, early in recovery is there, in Nashville, there were almost as many women in recovery as there were men. And so we got to do things as a group and learned how to be with each other without having any emotional or dating kind of thing going on. We did it in groups. It was very safe. And we learned, we became brothers and sisters. So I'm going to add one last thing to that. Um, the When I brought up the fact that I was an alcoholic early on some of these dates, if, if I can sense in somebody that they don't have any sense of a recovery lifestyle, like if they're, if they're no, no offense, but if they're talking church and you know all this other stuff that is black and white and they're not into the gray where we live sometimes in recovery, it's like, next. You know, so, so what he said about dating people in recovery, doesn't have to be. But for me, if the person that I'm sitting across the table with isn't open to recovery and that way of lifestyle, I'm, I'm not interested. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sorry, real quick. Um, similar question. Um, so in our in our faith tradition, like dating marriage is huge deal. Like if you're not, you are anyways. And I lived in the heat of, of my culture. Um, so I I um, Tell me what that means. What are you saying? You you you, you are you telling me you gotta be dating? You it's you know, I don't have it's, to be. It's important, like it's... It just is, yeah, so we, I mean, we're from Utah, we're in the LDS community, like a dating. Of, a lot of social pressure. Gotcha. Yeah, insane amounts of social pressure for, for dating. Um, yeah. Anyways, I know it's nice to have people laugh at us, but when we get back into our... We laugh with, with, with you, not at you. But you know, when we get back into our world, it's not, you know what I mean, that is our world. Yeah. Um, and I have no intention of ever leaving, I, I love the world I live in. But anyways... Um, so when I got sober, uh, my sponsor, it wasn't a year or two, it was about three months when I started dating and I got a year of sobriety. Um, anyways, that's the most I've ever had. It was my number one source of, of misery. Like I was sober, not well because of dating. Does that, does that make sense? Definitely. So I'm, I'm kind of asking, and I, and I ended up relapsing it like a, a little bit ago because of it. And here I am, you know, starting over and realizing I'm like, now I'm like, really afraid of dating because it's what caused my relapse. So, I'm, yeah, anyways. I, I know it's not a very clear question, but maybe if you could advise on that concept. What I just heard is that dating is a trigger for you. Um, I, or I can be. a sexual trigger, but more of like... Do, doesn't mean sexual, just a trigger, period. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anything that I get triggered from, I, I want to I break from it. I need to back away from it. I, for, for several years, I couldn't go to a pro football game because the energy was too high. If there's too much energy about something, it's something I didn't touch on. I'm, a, I'm addicted to excitement. I'm addicted to energy up here. I do, I do meditation because it brings me down here, and that's where I need to be. I can't live up here anymore. I did it for way too long, and, and if, if I'm chasing this, I'm in my disease, sexual or not. That's, that's, my, that's my experience. Can I read a couple of these? Yeah. Okay. 
million dollar question. How do you find balance between pursuing dating and staying surrendered to God's will in bringing someone into your life? That's a good question. Dum, ta, dum, dum. Um, balance between pursuing dating and staying surrendered to God's will in your life. That's a lot of big um, thoughts there. Um, I don't know. You want to have a shot at that? Okay. I'm so, going to think on that one. So, yeah, I came back from Rochester in 94, and, and I was depressed for a couple of months and, and until I had this real awareness that I got a pretty dang good life. And, uh, and I was, you know, I tried to do things that helped me expose myself to people who might be available. But as it turned out, um, in December or November of 1994, one of my friends in the program called me and said, hey, I've, I've got this idea. Uh, he was single and sober. Uh, there were several of us that kind of hung out together. And he said, I got this idea. I, I was talking to um, this female friend of mine who was not in recovery. And we decided we we're going to have a dinner party. And... Uh, and she's going to invite four single friends, and I'm going to invite four single friends, and we're just going to have dinner. And I said, sign me up. And uh, so we, I drive into Nashville. I live south of uh, Nashville. I drive into Nashville uh, for this dinner. And uh, um, there were these women who were in our age group who were single, and, uh, and several of them were attr- attractive to me, but not triggers. And I don't know how to explain that to you, uh, but I think most of you know what triggers you in terms of physical features. And I found these women attractive, but not triggers. And that was a pleasant surprise. One of my friends, uh, monopolized this woman who was sitting next to me the entire time. I couldn't get a word in edgewise, and I found her really attractive. Um, I'm married to her now. So, um, uh, so, af- so, so after that meeting, um, or after that dinner, you know, I, I did the thing that a lot of guys do. Are you going to call her back? You know, I called him up, and I said, are you going to call her? Are you going to follow up on her? And he said... No, I don't think so. And I said, okay. I said, I just want to make sure because I couldn't get in a word edgewise the whole night. And he said, no, I'm, I'm not going to follow. So I, I called my friend, got her phone number, called her. She was very pleasant on the phone. Uh, she told me later she couldn't remember which one I was. <laughs> and, uh, um, but after we talked... You know, I said, would you like to have dinner? And, and you know, the, the, the rest is history. So, you know, um, I, I, I relaxed. I relaxed. And uh, um, I kept, you know, and I did it one day at a time. I, you know, today, you know, I see somebody sitting in the audience that I've known for a long time. There was a friend in our fellowship who, who liked to make a joke about me being single and celibate. And so he came up with sayings, you know, sex... Sex free in 93, 
no more in 94. Uh, um, and so, you know, it, it became a subject of, you know, I, I, I started to lighten up. And I, I kind of thought after a while it was kind of funny too. Okay, what's, what's he going to think up for 96? But, you know, 96, I was engaged. So uh, we got married in 96. So that's it. Thanks. Uh, I'm going to take uh, a few minutes and think about that question that was submitted by my friend Rob there. Um, sorry to out you there, Rob. But I'll talk to you about that later because it's too deep. There are two of the questions that were written in that I would like. We're running out of time. So I'm going to look at these two questions because they're written in front of me. Um, uh, the first one I got was, I can't use dating sites safely without obsessing. Any suggestions other than digital dating? Um, you know, my thought would be, uh, I didn't do this, but I went on some meetup sites. Again, here was a computer, but I went, I joined some meetup groups and I didn't go on those outings. But if I were, I would, I would get together with people that are like-minded and like-minded activities and go to where I have an instant connection because we're, we're connected to the event. Like, like, like Dave was talking about, there's an event. We both like it. Let me go on that and practice, practice being a friend to somebody without any sexual dating overtones to it. That's what I would do. Go to those events and, if you stick around afterward, maybe there's somebody who can help you answer that question as well. Uh, you want to get on that? No, that's great. Okay. Can you share something on the not getting physical part of sober dating before marriage? My experience was always I would get physical very fast. Um, it's hard for me to answer that question because you're talking to a guy whose sexual libido is about here. You know, it's just not there anymore. And, uh, and so I don't get you know, overcharged. Um, can you address that? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, we only got a couple of minutes here. So, you know, for me, it, it, it was really easy. Um, you know, when, when, I, when, when I knew that anybody that I was going to get into a, a love relationship with had to know who I was, um, that really helped me have really good physical boundaries. And, uh, you know, there, there was a woman that I went out with probably a half a dozen times um, who, who asked me, uh, you know, why, why don't you touch me? And I gave her a very simple answer. We don't know each other well enough. And, and that was the God off, you know, God honest truth. And, you know, it wasn't until, um, you know, my, my spouse, um, after we had gone through a, a couple of significant hurdles in our relationship, um, you know, I, I was wondering, how am I going to tell her? How, you know, how's this going to work? And I, I've been praying about it for a long time. You know, how am I going to tell her that I'm a sexaholic? And, uh, you know, one day on, on the phone, she, she said... You know, why, why haven't you ever touched me? And I said, well, there's, there's something you really need to know about me. And uh, I, t I told her about my sexual addiction. She said, well, 
uh, can you give me some information? And, and this will be, a, this is a piece of advice I'll give you. Um, don't answer questions that aren't asked. And, uh, and so what, what I gave her was one of our pamphlets. I said, you know, next time I see you, I, you know, I, I'll give you a pamphlet that talks about it. And I kind of, kind of went over it with her, uh, the problem and then the solution. And, uh, she said, can you give me more? And uh, I gave her a book that's not conference uh, approved, but I gave her a book about sexual addiction, that, and she read that. She read that. Uh, you know you're in the right relationship when her, her mother calls her and, <laughs> and says, I've just found this book about sexual addiction, and it describes my family. And, and my wife says, yeah, I just read that book. And she goes, that's, our, that's my grandfather, isn't it? And, and, and her mother said, yeah. And she goes, man, I didn't know this was out there. And she said, how, do you, how did you get, come by this book? Well, somebody gave it to me, and, and I read it. And so it, it, there, there are one, I'm, I could talk for hours about that. But, um, yeah, it, um, it, it was easy for me. And, I, and my sobriety was really, really important. And so if you find yourself getting physically tr- triggered, that could be a red flag that maybe you need to back off. And, uh, and, and talk about it in meetings. And talk about it to your sponsor. And talk about it to other friends in recovery. You know, you know we can't do this undercover. You know, we got to do it out. You know, the light, the light kills, the, kills the bad stuff. So, so how are we doing? Are we... You know, one more question. We got time for one more question. One comment. Not one comment. Okay. Um, our program clearly states that not sex, oneself, or a person outside the marriage. You know, that's one thing that we need to take into consideration. It's already stated for us, and if we keep on looking, you know, for that, you know. What brought us to this uh, room, and we're not working the program. Yeah. yeah. The other thing it's for me personally to, to go to you know virtual reality looking for dates will be suicide because that's exactly what I was living in my fantasy. Yeah. So I have to you know make you know a rule that I don't. Yeah, I was I, I was a benefit of uh, coming into the program before the internet, uh, just as VCRs were coming out, which was devastating to me. So and uh and the only dating sites were in the newspaper when I was started dating. And I tried it once. Uh, the ad said that she was a female, white, Christian woman, strikingly attractive. I, I couldn't resist. Um, I couldn't resist. It turned out to be a case of false advertising in my case. But, but we, had a, we, had, we had a lovely evening. And... Uh, it, uh, but I, that's the only time I ever did that. So with that, with that,
Anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. Um, let's, uh, you know, somebody suggested last night there's a lot of flu and colds going around, so we may want to, instead of hold hands, we may, may want to, whatever you feel comfortable with. Uh, and let's close with the third step prayer. Um, so shall we gather? listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.